The reading's taken from Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 14, which is page 707 in the Green Bibles. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, and if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant, Justin, thank you. Everyone reads so well in this church. You're, you're brilliant. Uh, Justin, I kind of had real authority to it. Yeah. That was fantastic. And rightly so. Just before I uh, pray, and then um, we'll look at this, and then that will lead into communion. But I'm just going to, uh, I may well embarrass Annie, Annie Crawley, who's, who's sitting here, is a friend of ours. And Annie, with her uh, husband Silas, will be leading the marriage MOT day on the 26th of March. You'll see that it's on the term card. The back is also one of the notices on the, it's one of those Saturdays that Will mentioned. It's on the back of the notice sheet as well. Saturday the 26th of March from 10 until 4 across in the Mission Hall will supply refreshments and lunch as well from uh, Abbey at Manhattan. It's going to do some sandwiches and that kind of stuff. So that's why there's a small charge for the day. But if you want to find out, you know, what, what's the day about and why should I come, uh, then grab Annie at the end uh, and she can tell you more. Let's pray as we have page... 706, Isaiah 58, open in front of us. Father, written uh, or spoken through Isaiah many years ago, but alarming, Lord, how familiar and similar are the contexts and situations then to now. And so we ask your spirit would take what was written then and there for them and apply it to us and here and now 
challenge us, inspire us, feed us. And point us towards a needy and hungry and a thirsty world. Father, well up in us the food and the drink and the provision that in your spirit we may meet their need and so establish your kingdom. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Rags, random acts of grace, what we used to call them, we want them to become more regular acts of grace. Reviving acts of grace, revolutionary acts of grace. You make up with how many R's you want. But we want to position our, our social action and our mission at the heart of what we do. So that we come here in this building and gather. It's only so that we, like a ship in the harbour, might be refurbished, replenished to go out. And to uh, live and breathe and speak and act regular examples, acts of God's grace as we receive, so we want to give in order that we may play our part in building God's kingdom and, and the challenge is all around us there's a guy called uh, Robert Putnam who wrote an essay in, I think it was 1995, he wrote an essay which he entitled Bowling Alone and it, uh, he worked it up into a book such was the response to the essay I think the book was published in, uh, about 10 years ago and it was a critique of American culture and society. And he, he chose the title Bowling Alone because he noticed that in the sort of 20 year period of research he did up to 1995 when he wrote the essay, he noticed that there'd been an, an increase in the number of people taking up 10-pin bowling. More and more people were going bowling. But in that same corresponding period, there were less and less bowling leagues and less and less bowling teams. So the kind of corporate or social activity of bowling was diminishing, yet more and more individuals were bowling themselves. And he extrapolated what he found there actually to go right across communities and society. He, he just recognized that kind of, if you like, voluntary contribution was diminishing to groups or societies. We, we notice it here, if you talk to, I think, I've seen Jenny here somewhere, Jenny, oh, she may be doing the children now. But Jenny Whittle for a long time has been associated with the local guiding association. But she will say, Cubs, Brownies, Guides, Scouts, they are all struggling for people who will keep the, the packs going. And, and some of them, the, the groups and packs or whatever they're called, you know, they're, they've had to, uh, some of them had to close down. Putnam uh, identified in America, and I think we could probably identify here, phenomena of um, social disintegration and the rise of um, what a number of social commentators describe as individualism. Putnam kind of went on, he went to extrapolate sort of what, what, if we carry on like this, we continue to bowl alone. What will our culture look like? And he kind of, he, he sort of envisaged in the future, we'd all be walking around with these kind of um, uh, entertainment helmets. We just see sort of helmets with a little screen for us to watch our own movies. And there'll be have internal earphones so we'll listen to our own music and we'll just have our own sort of web pages and all that kind of thing and we'll just walk around as isolated individual automatons. Actually, if you sit on the tube today, I, I mean, uh, I, know, I know you've never been able to talk on the tube, you just, you just don't talk on the tube, but you could have struck up conversation in theory because, you know, maybe you want to be reading the papers on. But now you sit in, in, on a bus or a tube, everyone's got, you know, they're fiddling here, aren't they? Or they've got their ears locked into whatever it is they're listening to. 
individuals, albeit that they are collected together, an individual society. And there were various um, uh, uh, discussions and uh, think tanks. Jim Wallace, who I'll refer to in a few minutes, he was a part of a sort of think tank to pick over the bones of this essay. And uh, the phrase that Putnam came up with was social capital. That's, that's what's in, in view here. That's what's being disintegrated. The, the sort of bank of social capital is being eroded away. And if you erode away a society's social capital, you'll have individuals and societies cloaked in despair and disillusion. Hence the graffiti on, uh, I think it was Manchester University, uh, written by a heart-ached 18-year-old, let's imagine. And it just said, why am I so lonely when there are over 10,000 people here? Bowling alone. The erosion of social capital. And so David Cameron and the big society. The idea is that let's rebuild uh, community. Let's rebuild society. Let's, let's invest in social capital as an antidote to what uh, Putnam and others have recognized. If you go onto the big society uh, website, here is the aim. The Big Society Network exists to generate, develop, and showcase new ideas to help people to come together in their neighborhoods to do good things. Brilliant, isn't it? We'd, we'd all say amen to that. Exists to generate, develop, showcase new ideas to help people to come together in their neighborhoods to do good things. Our focus, it goes on, is on bringing people together in positive environments to share ideas, to seed initially small-scale innovation, to showcase best practice, to make it easier, more delightful, and rewarding for people to contribute to their local community life. I think that's brilliantly put. I read that and that's fantastic. It's a great vision. Church has had it for about 2,000 years. But hey, government is catching up. That's great. I love that. Best practice to make it easier, more delightful, and rewarding for people to contribute to their local community life. But if Putnam is right, that there's been a loss and erosion of social capital, then here's the question for today. Here's the question for us as we consider our rags, our random acts of grace, as we consider serving our local community. What is going to motivate that? What's going to be the catalyst and the energy both to create and sustain big society? What will motivate individuals to come together to delight in building community if all of us know and experience an erosion of social capital and the increase of individuality, of looking after number one? How will we sustain the vision, the dream of big society? Not least because most social, political, religious commentators would all tend to agree that radical change and lasting change doesn't tend to come from top-down imposition. Rather, it's inspired by grassroots. It comes from the bottom up, not the top down. And I have to say, I mean, just going through one or two websites and read the articles, you'll all be aware, maybe this is you yourself, an element of cynicism to Cameron's big society idea. Is it actually just a smokescreen for more 
public spending cuts and sort of spending review. Government workers shaking their heads, I don't know. Jim Wallace, in his book, Faith Works, identifies, I think, a radical missing ingredient in all of the, certainly this camera sort of big society idea. And it is the need to develop a spirituality for social responsibility and social reform. A spirituality for social responsibility and social reform. We need to get right back to the heart of the matter, which is the human heart of the individual and the community. If we're to see a big society, God's society, God's kingdom here on earth, which takes us to Isaiah 58. Have you got it there? Page 706. The context um, for Isaiah, it's a little bit difficult to, to date Isaiah accurately, but um, let's say most commentators agree that it is around about the time of the ascendancy of the Assyrian Empire and the Northern Kingdom, the ten tribes of, uh, of the Northern Kingdom of Israel have been uh, conquered and scattered. Uh, and Isaiah is foretelling the time when the southern kingdoms too uh, will also be captive to Babylonia. That's yet to, 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 to rise to ascendancy, but the Babylonians will overtake the Assyrians. And the whole of God's people in God's place will be unrecognizable in this time of, of traumatic exile. And the people recognize, therefore, the people of Israel recognize, and, you know, Prophet Isaiah, is, all he's doing is just holding up what they already know for them to see and read, that there is political and social and economic disruption and upheaval. The people of Israel, if you like, are experiencing their own bowling alone, their own loss of, of, of social capital and social cohesion. But more than that, and crucially, they recognize that something is wrong spiritually too. This is God's complaint of them. Uh, we didn't read this, but verse 2, just before the bit that we came in on. Day after day they seek me out, God says through the prophet Isaiah. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Do you see, amongst the people there's a recognition there that all's not well here. If you like, there's an erosion of um, social capital, there's an erosion of spiritual capital as well. We go through the formulas, we, we, we attend the church services as it were, we do the fast, all the rules and the regulations that God himself set out for us. And it doesn't seem to work, it just seems dry and dusty. God seems distant and far away. Look what's taking place. Community, society around us. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks the antidote. He prophesies a solution to this. Here's the vision, verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Isn't that fantastic? What a way to be known. 
What a picture to have. We're going to rebuild the city. We're going to reshape society. We'll be the ones who've brought this into being. Repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. What a wonderful vision. What a wonderful picture. But how does it come about? How is social and political and economic and spiritual capital rebuilt? See, unlike the big society where, as I read through the literature, there's no mention of a spirituality. There's no reference to God. Isaiah knows that it has to start with individual and personal renewal. The renewal of self in relation to God. Just pause for a minute. I, I, know, I know in the context of church we know that. Yeah, that's the right answer. But, but in our day-to-day lives, we sort of been around. I wonder whether, I, I know I do. I tend to think, well, when I've got myself sorted, when I've got myself to some kind of balance and equilibrium, when, when you know, I've got enough space, when I'm okay, then, then I'll be able to help, give, sacrifice, whatever it might be. Then I can help someone else, once I'm okay. And here is, uh, just picking up from Will last week, this sort of radical, subversive act that Christians are called to be and to live in the world today. Actually, it starts with them. And as you give yourself to them, whoever you perceive them to be, this is regular acts of grace at the margins, you will be renewed. That is the way of the kingdom. That is the way that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. We'll come to see the way he speaks through Jesus. That is the way God hasn't changed. That's the way he does it today. It's a recognition that personal well-being, personal healing, personal shalom or wholeness is vital. Each of us are to feel complete and healthy and whole. But that wholeness, that health, only comes in relation with others. And as we give ourselves to others, our time, our energy, our ingenuity, our money, whatever it might be that God calls us to give, as we give it to others, He builds and restores us. Verse 7. This is what God says. Never mind your fasts. My fast, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. As you see the need and look to meet it, you discover that in so doing, you meet God by his spirit. He meets you. He clothes you. He feeds you. He restores you as you seek to feed and clothe and restore and release those others. Verse 10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 
I think the Lord, through Isaiah, knows something of the human heart. You see, if the Lord were to start by giving me a well-watered garden and a spring whose waters never fail, I'd spend all my time in the garden, sunbathing and enjoying it and drinking from it. I, I, I know, left to my own devices, such as the fullness of my own human heart, that I probably wouldn't spend too much time ensuring that everyone else enjoyed the garden and drank from the water. So you start there. You give when you think you've got nothing to give. Because in giving, you discover that God gives to you and some. It's the economy of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 25, don't worry to, to turn to it. Jesus tells a story of, or depicts the vision of uh, the completed big society, the renewed creation, heaven and earth. And uh, the king says to his subjects, um, well rather his subjects say to him as he's there placed in the kingdom, he sa- they say, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Surely Jesus must have had these words of Isaiah in his mind as he tells his story to his followers. And yet he sharpens the focus. When we do these things, regular acts of grace in our local community, we've been rehearsing a number of them through street bank or the food bank, there's the box at the back and the leaflets. We had Daphine here recently partnering with Christchurch to help those who, as Will puts it, fall through the, sort of, uh, the, the gaps in the social services. When we help people like that, we're going to hear next week from Russell Rook, he's going to uh, speak to us, he uh, runs the... Uh, health centre on the Cassidy Road, just off the Fulham Road. (laughs) Uh, Just point anywhere. Um, Nearby. Uh, They provide basic health care as a health centre could, but they're looking to partner with other organisations and other churches to bring uh, kind of release and freedom and help and support in all sorts of ways to, to invest in social and spiritual capital. And Jesus says, when you do these things, practical little acts of grace, it's as if you were doing it for me. You are serving me. You're feeding me. You're engaging with me. You're relating with me. And when you relate with me, effectively, Jesus says, you and me are a winning combination. Us and Jesus we can transform society. Us, we can scatter around, burning ourselves out with little bits of activity. Us and Jesus, we can transform society. Because you see, we don't go and do something to people, we don't even go and do something for people. What Isaiah is effectively saying is that we go and do stuff with people. We listen to them, we engage with them, and we act with them and so we are both transformed we we form part of a transformation that God is doing in our midst us and them together we're all transformed 
a new society, big society, God's kingdom is birthed. I think of the time, every time we used to go out and do um, what we called random acts of grace from the six o'clock service, and we'd always go out an element of trepidation, nervousness, what is going to happen as we go onto Sullivan Court, as we knock on some doors, as we take flowers or gifts, as we help in whatever way it was, sometimes prearranged, we'd clear up a, a, a room or a garden or whatever it was, always an element of, and we'd always reconvene in one of the pubs, conveniently, because we want to bless our neighbours, you understand, uh, the publicans, and help their business. Uh, and so we'd meet that and reconvene, and the buzz, wasn't there? I mean, there's just a few of us nodding heads from people who were involved. The buzz and the sense, the deep sense of fulfilment that came from connecting with people outside of these hallowed walls. Little elements of transformation to change community. Well, I'm going to uh, lead now into communion. I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to invite you to do, in effect, is to move. Uh, we'll stand in just a minute, and then we'll actually move from where we are, and we'll come towards Jesus, as it were. Uh, we, the bread and the wine symbolizing his body and his blood. And we come and we move with a vision to be transformed ourselves, that God would change us somehow on the inside as we meet with him in communion. And this metaphor, if you like, this symbolism, is something that I invite you to take out of here from this time on Sunday and into midweek, into the rest of our lives, that we'd move towards Jesus with a view of transformation in practical ways as we involve ourselves in regular acts of grace in the margins. Amen? Amen.